0: I have, well, I don't know if you've ever heard of them, No, I, I, I do have
1: some good vacations. Oh, you you, tra- you like, like to travel yeah.
0: and... Yeah. 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 You want to share one? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So our family, we were, this is one time we were in Singapore and uh, kids were little and we decided we were going to go on a trip. Part of that trip was the ghost snorkeling. Mm-hmm. So we went on, got on a boat and we paid some people. We got on a little boat, motorboat off to an island in Malaysia. Okay. All the kids got their, you know, two of my kids of the four have their snorkels and fins and we have everything. And all of a sudden we start hearing this kind of, you know, people going. (laughs) 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 And we walk over the water and there are these black tip, small baby black tip sharks. Just swimming back and uh, forth, right about two or three feet in the water. Oh my goodness! So we get in the water, and we're you know we're trying not to uh, convey anxiety to the sure. kids. So everything's fine, everything's mm-hmm. good. Just go in. Then we went to like a swimming um, pier, you know, yeah. kind of a float thing. And I'm looking around, and I'm sw- watching around, and all of a sudden, in the underneath, I see big sharks uh, going. Up. Oh right. man! Oh, it was like, Hey kids, it's time for us to come out. You know, <laughs> did your kids know what was going on, or are they just kind of? No, well, up? since okay. they know, they know. Well, yeah. They knew once uh, I said, "Okay, let's get out of the water now." Yeah, you know, they knew something was up at that point. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it has now become a family story that we tell. <laughs> oh, totally. Uh, you know, for this kind of thing, I'm yeah. going to call That's you kinda, yeah.
2: Wayne Johnson, the shark wrangler. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Welcome to Forward, a TED's faculty podcast. I'm your host, Josh Chip,
2: And I'm Michelle Knight.
1: Today, we're excited to sit down with Wayne Johnson, the current provost of Trinity International University, as well as associate professor of biblical and pastoral theology. But perhaps even more interestingly, in preparing for this interview, I read on the faculty webpage, you're an avid motorcycler. Is that true? I uh, am, yeah, it's true. What do you That's
0: ride? That's true, a Kawasaki Vulcan, 1700. Okay. Yeah. All right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Can I get on the back with you sometime? Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely.
2: I want a picture. I, have, I, I,
0: I don't have it with me today. Oh, okay. but all right. I yeah, often will park it out here. So if you see yeah, it, come and, come and see me. Yeah. Great. Well, well, well thanks for, for being well, with us it. today, Wayne. We're really glad to have you here. <laughs> great to yeah. be with you. Great to yeah, be here. Yeah. We're
2: yeah. super excited. As yeah. we get started, one of the things we always ask our guests as they come on is kind of, you know, where you came from, how you got mm-hmm. here. And mm-hmm. so we want listeners to just kind of hear about your life, hear about your passions, hear about your calling, and ultimately how you ended up doing what you're doing here mm-hmm. at TEDS. Mm-hmm. Which I know is kind of uh, a a journey with a lot of twists and turns in your case. It
0: is. It is. Yeah. I mean, I I, uh, was very blessed to grow up in a Christian home. I grew up in New Jersey, so I'm a Jersey guy. Um, And uh, went to an evangelical free church as I was growing up. Um, So I'm very grateful for that. That really put a lot of uh, foundations in my life uh, in terms of the gospel and faith and prayer and things like that. Um, like many, went to college, went through a period of time where I was kind of like, mm, what am I doing here? But a church um, reached out to me. It's actually my mother um, m- contacted the pastor, and the pastor bugged me incessantly about coming to church. And uh, he kept calling me and offering me rides and <laughs> everything else. And eventually I kind of caved, and the, I said, okay, you know, I'm going to the church. And this church was smaller church uh, in Windsor, Vermont. And uh, they really just embraced me with hospitality. Mm-hmm. Uh, they fed me. They prayed for me. I became part of a small group. And then, much to my surprise, the pastor began kind of asking me if I wanted to do things, ministry things. Do you want, would you like to lead a Bible study? Would you like to be lead a small group? Mm-hmm. Would you consider preaching on a Sunday morning? You know, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. And so he started to, to invite me into ministry. Yeah. Hmm. Which was really exciting because I felt such a kind of uh, affirmation, both from that group and then also a kind of an inner sense of this is really a good thing and mm-hmm. exciting thing to do. I think at that point, I kind of f- started to feel God's pleasure in ministry. Cool. Hmm. And it was a really encouraging thing. Um, I was heading to med school. As a matter of fact, I had done pre-med at Dartmouth. I did, was a music major at Dartmouth. And uh, that's where I met my wife, too. Um and so I was heading towards med school, did the MCATs, got into med school, was all ready to go. But somewhere along this, the line, somebody asked me, have you ever considered being a pastor? And my answer was no. No. <laughs> no. Um, but as time went on, I just felt more and more of a kind of sense that that was something I should do. I, there wasn't any big kind of flash in the sky. Yeah. But there was a moment where I kind of said, Lord, you know, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And uh, eventually made the decision to come here to TED's mm. um, in 1980. Okay. Uh, to do my MDiv here. Yep. So that's so, and then from there, you know, it had TED's and the impact of TED's on my life, went into pastoral ministry. Uh, I think the next big chapter in our life came when I started preaching the Sermon on the Mount. We were, we were pastoring, I was finishing up my PhD at Westminster in hermeneutics. And um, uh, the Lord really used the Sermon on the Mount to challenge us towards a whole. Dimension of our life toward following Christ. Mm, yeah. I think I've been really well grounded in believing and trusting in Christ. But now all of a sudden it was following Christ. Yeah. Following yeah. Christ in the way of obedience to his commands, mm. which is probably a story we'll talk about later. Yeah. And then also following Christ in a way of mission. Yeah. Just, just being ready to do whatever. Seek first the kingdom of God. Yeah. You know, seeking first the kingdom. And so that got us thinking about um, what we wanted to do, what we should do. Uh, when I finished my Ph.D., and that led to theological education overseas. Yeah. Um, eventually came back here to Trinity and a lot of things after that. And the other big chapter, I think, in our story was the birth of our first daughter, Hannah, and mm-hmm. she has Down syndrome. hmm And uh, not only does that kind of put you at the end of your uh, self-sufficiency, mm-hmm. uh, depending upon God in new ways, but it also very much shaped my perceptions of human value. Mm-hmm. It shaped my perceptions of um, of, um, faithfulness Mm. um, and uh, the way—it also shaped my theology of suffering, lament, Mm. and even made me uh, much more uh, convinced about the importance of eschatological worldview. Wow. You know, the the suffering and the not yet of the kingdom of God. And so that impacted a lot of things theologically for us, and of course it was uh, has been one of the challenges of our lives, and also it's been one of the great joys of our lives mm. too.
1: Mm. So, yeah, that's yeah. wonderful. Yeah, so,
0: and then, then I came to Trinity and did a whole kinds of different things at <laughs> Trinity. I think that's kind of a joke. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was, like, uh, I was the dean of students yeah, at yeah. Trinity. I, 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 sorry, I was dean of chapel when I first came. Yeah, and uh, because I wanted to, to straddle academics and spiritual formation, yep. chapel and worship and things like yeah. that. And then I became dean of students at TEDS. and then I was director of the MDiv program, and then I was in the dean's office, yeah. and then I'm the provost. So it's kind of like I'm the uh, utility infielder. There, you know? no, I'll, I'll there's do there's whatever. You, you know, seen, <laughs> right? right. Like,
1: no, no. <laughs> Sorry. I think Sorry. One of my first semester's teaching here. We were uh, paired up in the. Uh, New Testament preaching, oh, class, preaching in the, in class in the basement, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. We were right. preparing for right. this. So I
0: was like, Wayne's really been around. Like, he's done <laughs> a few different things. So. It's helped me. Having a lot of that exposure has, has helped oh, me oh, a yeah. lot of different ways in my current roles. Yeah. Too, oh, I imagine. Know? Just like the
2: institutional memory you've yeah. got yeah. is unparalleled. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you have spent some time in Singapore. Can you talk to us a little bit about? how that has shaped you and maybe Mm -hmm. the way you see the world and the way you see ministry and things like Mm -hmm. that. We'd love Mm -hmm. to hear how that, that experience um, has um, taught you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, the background of that was a a renewed sense that we should be available to do whatever God wants us to do. And it's not always easy to do what God wants you to do, but that's okay. That's kind of where we're supposed to be. Um, So going to Singapore was a very, I think, a very uh, clear calling for us. It was one of those moments in my life where I, where both Kristen and I felt, we have to do this. You know, we don't often feel like that. You know, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. This was one of those moments where we hung up the phone and we said, yes, we have to do this. This is what God wants us to do. Um, but it was, uh, in some ways, it was gloriously, you know, wonderful. In other ways, it was very traumatic. You know, mm-hmm. we had small mm-hmm. kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're leaving our parents, grandparents, taking our yeah. kids you know, it's one of the reasons people don't do it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Is, uh, I have a lot of memories of uh, sad moments of saying goodbye in the airport, mm. you know, where, where we wouldn't. It's not like the old days where they don't see you for, you know, right. decades, but yeah. eh, two, three years, yeah. you know, that's a lot. Yeah. when you have that's little kids that are growing up. Totally. So the cost of that was very palpable for us. But I think when we were there, so we learned what it meant to be in hard circumstances and trust God <laughs> kind of in the midst of that and see him provide in many yeah. wonderful ways. Um at the same same time, it was also a wonderful opportunity for me and us to become cross cultural people. Okay. Uh, if I had a kind of a wand that I could wave over every professor, or every teacher of theology, it would be to have them go through culture shock. Hmm. Huh. Because I think what it does is it kind of deconstructs you in a good way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you realize what aspects of your life are, you know, culturally uh, oh. conditioned, and then you learn you learn what it means to. Learn from other people yeah, who are yeah. different than you mm-hmm. and who have different assumptions about cultures and, you know, other yeah. things like that. So the intercultural cross-cultural dimension of it was just kind of life-changing mm-hmm. for all of us and for my family. And my yeah. kids now, I think, are much more global Christians than they would have been otherwise. My youngest was born in Singapore, so she's very much, a you know, mm-hmm. has that, that feel to her. Um the other thing was amazing. It was amazing to me the privilege of teaching students. We had we had students from Southeast Asia, South Asia, um, and it's it was amazing to me how many of those students had endured suffering, hardship, persecution, and imprisonment for for the gospel. Mm. I mean, I remember one time where I was sitting in my office as the dean, and I had about four Indonesian brothers in my office, and we were praying and crying together because this was the time in the '90s when there were a lot of gangs. Oh, that yeah. were going around, marking the sidewalks of these homes, and here they are. They're studying for ministry. Their families are back home, and we are just, you know, mm-hmm. praying and praying and praying um, for them. I had this, I had another guy in from Myanmar in my class who had, uh, you know, physical. Uh, you could see the results of his beating wow. for the for cross, but mm-hmm. not to be morbid about that. But the whole idea is that here were people who had counted the cost, yeah, and they had. They were so on fire for Christ and they were so on fire for the mission of the, of the gospel and so, so keen to, to share the good news in contexts which caused suffering for them yep. and hardship for them. The other thing was having people who were, became Christians out of their families and prayed and prayed and prayed because their families either shunned them or uh, you know, you know, treated them in unkind ways. And here were people who were continuing to just love their families and pray for them. And in an Asian context, of course, that's very complicated, mm-hmm. how you give honor to your parents and your family at the same time giving honor to Christ. So all that to say is I was there with a certain kind of knowledge that I was giving them. Yeah. But wow, was I learning a lot yeah. uh, from them. And the other thing that struck me was how important it was to emphasize uh, God's mission in the world because... In Singapore, you're in the midst of a sea of Islam. There's more There's more Muslims in Southeast Asia than anywhere else in the world. And um, that, that tends to, or I think it should, uh, prioritize uh, working together yeah. as Christians. Yeah. Uh, some of the petty differences, um, theological, political, whatever they are, to me just kind of seem silly when you're yeah. in a context like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that taught me a lot, too, kind of mm-hmm. the, the importance of… Importance and priority of working together rather than just planting flags.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. you know, super helpful.
0: That's great.
1: Yeah, uh, Wayne, I want to go back to. I'm cur- curious. You mentioned the Sermon on the Mount. I was yeah, going to yeah. ask you about. I remember after one of my first times preaching in chapel, you came up and very kindly said something like, "Great job." And then, you know, uh-huh. I, do I detect some Anna? similar (laughs) Anabaptist (laughs) impulses or something along those lines. Yeah. Um, Yeah. 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 uh, And I'm curious hearing you talk about the Sermon on the Mount. Now I'm wondering if that's, you know, deeply related to uh, your own studying of the sermon and what it means to follow Christ. But I'd love to hear you just share what you mean by, um, you know, you describing yourself
0: as one who has some of those impulses. Yeah, 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 sure. You'd be happy to. Yeah. The Sermon on the Mount was kind of like eye-opening for me. I was preaching. Mm-hmm. I was pastoring a church in Connecticut, a free yeah. church in Connecticut, and um, preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And my Christian and I were both praying and saying, Lord, what does this mean? How, mm-hmm. how does this impact our lives? What, what does it mean to seek first the kingdom and not just kind of add Christianity into our yeah. plan and our agenda. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> we were wrestling with that and we were praying with that about that. And that's what eventually led us to go to Singapore. But um, for me, it was moving from a, a wonderful appreciation that you need to believe in Christ, you need to believe something about Christ mm-hmm. and salvation, that Jesus died for me, He rose again, He's coming again, these kinds of important things, justification by faith, all these things. To then kind of studying scripture and realizing that there's this whole dimension of uh, following Christ. Yeah. You know, you've got to take up your cross and follow me, as well as, as reading in Acts and other documents like the Didache and other, you know, Pliny the Younger talking about early Christians and, yeah. you know, these, yeah. these kinds of things. And realizing that an essential part, and this became increasingly part of my convictions, an essential part of being a Christian was – Being willing to follow Christ, an essential part of following Christ was seeking in the grace of God, in the power of the Spirit, Mm -hmm. to obey Christ and to understand what that means. And so, as I started to distill that, you start to get some pretty clear structure or, you know, clear uh, specifics about what it means to obey Christ. Mm -hmm. Christ gave us commands. You know, do not retaliate. Mm -hmm. Love your enemies. Do good to those who persecute you. Be a person who's reconciling and forgiving, um, who cares for the poor, et cetera. So there's a whole host of things that are there, and I began to become increasingly nervous about ways in which I had kind of just compromised those Mm -hmm. as being unrealistic. Mm -hmm. Those are just unrealistic. Well, they're not unrealistic if the way of the cross is an assumed part of the Christian life. Yeah. If 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 the Christian life is all about just me and then protecting myself. Then of course it's unreasonable to ask me to not retaliate or to love my enemies or to good do good to those who persecute me. And by the way, it was it was it struck me too that it's not only in the Sermon on the Mount, but Paul in Romans 12 oh, reinforces sure. it. Yeah. Peter yeah. In, in verse Peter yeah. talks about it yeah. to yeah. follow this example yeah. that Christ let set you know set for you when yeah. they did this. He did not retaliate. He entrusted himself to him to God who judges justly. Mm-hmm. So here's this whole dimension of faith in order to obey Jesus Christ. And to follow him, you need to, to, to trust God in a way that transcends just trusting something about Jesus mm-hmm. or about my own. It actually means to step out in obedience in a way that is an expression of scary, risky trust. Yeah. And so I began to, you know, read some various sources, Anabaptist sources and others, and realize, oh, yeah, people have been thinking about this for a long time. Yeah. Um, and Increasingly, now it seems kind of obvious, but increasingly at the time when I was wrestling with these things, um, the issue of kind of Christians being co-opted, particularly in the U.S., Christians being co-opted for either the right Mm -hmm. Uh or the left, seemed to me to be a very cheap imitation of what it meant to actually be a Christian and live as a Christian. You know, it was kind of like, well, that's a little too hard. So we'll either sign up for the left agenda or the right agenda, and then Mm -hmm. now everything will be set. But I've always, I felt since then that the way we are called as Christians is the most effective, most powerful thing that we can do as Christians in the world is to be Christians and to live like Christians. And that, that isn't a legalistic kind of thing. Mm -hmm. That's gracious. It's in the power of the spirit. Yeah but if we're not actually stepping out and experimenting with what it means to obey Jesus in the hard mm-hmm. areas yeah. like yeah. where it's risky where it's where, where we where we feel vulnerable where there are enemies that we would rather just write off um at forever um in those ways of obedience we're actually learning to trust God and find him faithful yeah yeah so that whole kind of a led to that you know you know i mean part of my nervousness about the anabaptist label is there are many there are some anabaptists who are are squarely evangelical i'm an evangelical and an Anabaptist. Mm-hmm. But Anabaptist tradition has sometimes kind of gotten co-opted by Protestant liberalism, where the peace and justice dimension, uh, which I think is part of the, or the gospel, the call of Jesus, has kind of just kind of getting swallowed up right. by a political yeah. agenda, yeah. which I think is unfortunate. Yeah. So I've often said to my students and others, you know, I think the issue is uh, how do you change the world? What do you yeah. want to do to change the world? The way to change the world is to let the church be the church. Yeah. And what I mean by that is a church that is humbly and graciously um, reconciling, doing good to their enemies, and showing this kind of different way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can only do that in the power of the gospel. You can only do that in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what makes it so unusual totally. and miraculous. Yeah.
1: So anyway, that's a, no, that's know. great. It reminds me of – yeah, I um, – When I think of John Stott, I usually think of sort of, you know, atonement, cross of Christ. But when I was, you know, 10 or 11 years ago, uh, working on lectures on the Sermon on the Mount, was that John Stott's like little book on the Sermon on the Mount saying very similar things. And also saying, I mean, like we're called to be an alternative community and that's what the world needs. He's also saying, granted, this was probably 50 years ago now, you know, this is what (laughs) young, young people want. Like they want to be part of something that is, um, challenging and risky and, you know, living differently in in a way that's not going to be co-opted by some larger power or whatever. So in some ways I came through to some of the same impulses, I think reading some other texts and then was sort of surprised, Hey, John Stott is
0: really a great example of
1: anyway. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I've often used the illustration of like a a pond, you know, the frozen pond. Mm -hmm. It's very easy for us as Christians to stand on the side of the pond and say, You know, that pond, as a metaphor for God and his faithfulness, it's trustworthy. We can trust that pond. We can trust that ice. You know, that's great. Yes. How many of us believe that we can trust that ice? Amen. Amen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We talk about it. But then it's actually the commands of Jesus, I believe. It's actually the word. Mm -hmm. And in this way, it's interesting. The word is a means of grace for us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it's actually in the commands of God, the blessing of God to give us his, the blessing of Christ to give us his commands. So there's some interesting Old Testament parallels there. Yeah. That in reaching out and stepping out and transferring our weight in, in some way yeah. that is vulnerable and risky, and it is risky to do those things, um, we actually find out that God's faithful. Mm-hmm. We actually find that the, the ice can hold us. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> yeah. And then it yeah. becomes less of a, an affirmation yeah. and more of a history, more, yeah. of a, more, more of our story. And I feel yeah. like for us, for our family, amidst some of these things that we've been through— yeah. My daughter, you know, going to Singapore, coming yeah. back and things like that. It, The joy and the privilege of it is that you actually have experience mm-hmm. with God. Mm-hmm. You know God in a way that yeah. intertwines with your story and your yeah. history. And it's your not family. just a system. That's, That's right. A theological it's system. It's not just an affirmation. Yeah. It's a way of life yeah. that you've experienced. Yeah. 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 I tell people it's not it's like You know, Christianity is not like saying there's a moon. I believe it. Yeah. It's like saying That's ice. that ice is going to hold me. Yeah. And God is faithful yep. and, you know, this kind of stuff. So
1: yeah. oh, I'd love to yeah. talk Sermon on the Moon for a long time. <laughs> that would be so fun. <laughs> maybe,
0: maybe offline
1: at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I have yeah. some
2: follow-ups too, but I'll let them go for now. Uh, well, I do want to kind of transition to some of the things you've taught here. I mean, even mm-hmm. as you were talking, I mean, you're, you're casting a vision for Scripture's whole message. Uh, and that reflects some of what we've seen you teach. I mean, you teach biblical theology yeah, here. Yeah, I uh, love you've that. also taught worship. And mm-hmm, actually, mm-hmm. I took the worship class with you once <laughs> upon a time. What, what year was that? I don't even know. <laughs> Nobody needs to know what year that was. Long ago. <laughs> once upon a time. Um, but I'd love to hear you talk about kind of the classes that have meant so much to you mm-hmm. here. Um, mm-hmm. What you have loved about them. You can talk about either. You can talk about both. Um, but how they um, – why they're so important? Why yeah. at TEDs yeah. do we care not just about Old Testament or New Testament? Why do we care about biblical theology? Why do we care about worship and the theology of worship?
0: Yeah, Is yeah, that helpful. Yeah, that's great. I, well, I we have a couple hours. But, <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, th- uh, two courses have come to mind, and I've 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 done a number of them, but these two I've I've taught for a long time: uh, the biblical theology and interpretation course. Uh, is a course that was actually, we did it in the MDiv, we added it in the MDiv revision, because we felt that even though students had a grasp of Greek and Hebrew, even though they were getting into specific contexts, there was still a sense in which students didn't understand kind of the the coherence of the whole scriptures. And there were some hermeneutical uh, questions there about how the scriptures connected with each other. Continuity, discontinuity, what difference does the New Covenant make? These kinds of questions. And so, The biblical theology course was designed um, really to help students understand how the Bible fits together. Okay. And as I asked my students, you know, in the course, I said, if we took away Israel, Mm. how would your Christianity change? Mm. That's a great question, yeah.
2: That's a really good question.
0: Or if we took away the Old Testament, how would your Christianity change? (laughs) And the sad thing is that for many of them, they've heard the story, you know— we, we we are alienated from God. We have a sin problem. Jesus mm-hmm. fixed it, mm-hmm. which, of course, is true. Sure. But there's a there's a thinness yeah. to the gospel then, I think, that comes out and that thinness becomes boring. It becomes mm-hmm. road. Mm-hmm. So the thing that's so exciting to me about teaching biblical theology is, first of all, giving them a sense of how the biblical story fits together. Uh, creation, fall, you know, the role of Israel, the election of Israel, how that relates to Messiah, Messiah, you know, church consummation, all those, all those kinds of things, how it yeah. fits together. And to wrestle with questions of continuity and discontinuity between old Old Covenant New. Um and that's that that is encouraging to me. The other thing that's so uh exciting to me is to find students that say, you know, I read that New Testament text, but I never realized how much Old Testament yes. was behind it. Yeah. And uh you know, we talk about the thickness and of of and the miraculous thickness of Jesus's ministry and the things that he does and the things that he says and how he alludes to 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 different texts yeah and yet we don't know those texts because we don't know the I'm preaching of the choir here Michelle. Yeah, yeah. the uh, we don't know those texts well, and so we miss what kind of the 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 thick descriptions mm-hmm. are in what's going on and I yeah. say all that leads you to worship um so anyway, if I can get a student to to uh, want to look at context more deeply, see the coherence of Scripture and how it fits together, and then to put their lives within and their lives and the life of the church
2: mm.
0: within that story, which I think is just as just as important too. Mm-hmm. Where are we? Yeah. Both in terms of eschatology, already kingdom is here. God is working. Not yet, come, Lord Jesus. Yeah. Um, in light of all those things, it gives us a framework for ministry that is absolutely essential. Uh, so that we can mourn with those who mourn, and yet we can also do so with hope, uh, looking forward to that consummation that's coming in Christ. So it excites me if students can grab a hold yeah. of that. And well, yeah. uh, and, and, the other the other course that's been very exciting for me to teach is the Christian worship course. Yeah, and I feel like that's almost kind of like crisis uh, crisis uh, care, you know, <laughs> in terms of worship. But I think for many of us in the megachurch tradition, we've kind of fallen into worship concert. And a sermon. Right. Sure. And don't get me wrong. You can worship God in a worship concert. You know, that's not a problem. But the problem, there's two things that I think have happened. Uh, we have lost the sense that um, worship is fundamentally an intentional response to God's revelation of himself. Mm. And that because that is the case, worship is, has all kinds of different dimensions to it, different responses to it. Yeah. Worship can be joyful, you know, raucous celebration, and it can be falling on my face and repenting. Uh, It can be lament. It can be joy. It can be all kinds of other things. But it's it's become in many circles more about getting me to a particular state of emotion than it is to authentically responding to the revelation of God. So we've started to lose the centrality of the Word as the impetus for our worship. We've also narrowed down our worship to celebration yep. Yep. and uh, because of that, um, I think much Christian worship is overrealized eschatology yeah mm. It's like let's just celebrate. The problem with that is that it leaves people impoverished from a- being able to worship in a hurting world. if if we close the windows, turn off the lights, turn you know I mean turn turn close the windows, And turn on the lights inside, and we just, for for an hour, an hour and a half, we escape, then worship isn't a kind of escapism. Uh, Our worship needs to respond to God and who he is in the context of the world and what we have. You know, I mean, one of the sad stories I've had in my history is of a woman whose son committed suicide. And unfortunately, she was in a church that was all very, we're going to celebrate, we're going to celebrate, we're going to celebrate. And she came, and eventually, sadly, she left and went back to an older tradition that she was part of. Mm Because she said these people don't know how to how, what, how yeah. suffering yep. works, yeah. yep. And so I think I think we need to uh, talk about a deep structure of worship, which is we need to give people something about God. Show people they need to pay attention to something about who God is and what He's done, mm-hmm. and to remember that and be reminded yeah. of that. That's the heart of 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 calling people to worship. And then we have all kinds of authentic ways in which we corporately can respond to that. Mm-hmm. All the dimension of things. yeah. Celebration is one of them, but yeah. there's all kinds of different dimensions. And then the other thing is bringing the world into our worship rather mm-hmm. than, you know, whether it's praying for the sick or praying for situations that are in the world or mm-hmm. just acknowledging that this world is not yet the kingdom mm-hmm. of our Lord and of his Christ. Mm-hmm. And uh, allowing that honesty to be there. I think that's one of the problems that um, younger generations worship uh, struggle with is sometimes worship feels manipulative. We're yeah. going to get you to celebrate. Yep.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Just not authentic at and, all. And, yep. and
0: and what about all the stuff that's happening yep. out there? What do I do with that? Yeah. And so I'll be here for a shorter period of time. I'll celebrate. Kind of. I don't know if I really feel like that, but yeah. I'll say it. Rather than saying, what are the things that we affirm about God for those who are celebrating and for those who are in right. tragic situations? Yep. What is it about God mm-hmm. that is the source of our hope? Yeah. So uh, worship cannot be a kind of escapism, an over-realized escapism. It's got to connect things together, and it's got to be authentic, and it's got to be responsive to the full dimension of how God Mm -hmm. revealed himself. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, those are my thoughts about that. It it feels
1: as though – I love what you're saying. It feels as though that requires – you know, if we're going to not sing hymns anymore.
0: (laughs) Well, I (laughs) I think music has a very important part of it. Well,
1: what I'm saying is, you know, it's like how many – it's – there needs to be more new songs that are written that are not just in this celebration vein. Yeah, right? right. Like right, it, right. it feels right. as though I saw some study recently. It was like, you know, the shelf life of a contemporary yeah, worship song. <laughs> like yeah, how that's long? Right. It's like, it's well, not right. very long, but, they're yeah. they're mostly yeah. in this vein. It feels like. Of well, and
2: I do think we need to define like which Christian church we're talking about too, sure. yeah. because right. I know that I've I've made some of these statements in class, and I had an African American student be like, mm-hmm. "This is not true of my tradition." Right. Right. We know how to lament, and so I wonder too. Even as we watch, you know, songs being generated in different contexts, like Maverick City has like some mm-hmm. excellent songs mm-hmm. that like lead yeah. people to lament and really grasp that now, mm-hmm. not yet. And so, I do think that there is kind of a movement and, and some of the humility you've talked about, like yeah. breaking down and recognizing that we have some of our own cultural baggage we're mm-hmm. bringing to right. these theological right. decisions. Right. I feel right. like if, if we do some more cross-cultural might be a strong word, but more integrative worship where we're interacting with different voices, we might find some of the resources mm-hmm. we need mm-hmm. to to better engage some of those aspects that at least my my white yeah. Protestant tradition hasn't yeah. always… Yeah you know, mm-hmm. accomplished very well.
0: Yeah. yeah and I think, point. I think music, I mean, I'm a music major, so I love music, yeah. of well, all kinds of, of different kinds. Yeah. But um, to me, the issue is that is music serving in culturally appropriate ways. And that's the issue. That's the issue that's too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is worship serving this structure of worship to either help us see God through song uh, or respond to God in song in a way that's authentic mm-hmm. and clear. And I think, you know, the, the whole, the, well, there's a whole conversation about multicultural worship and why that's important. Yet, how do you do it rather than uh, instead of making it kind of cultural tourism? Mm. Absolutely. Uh, because Absolutely. it can be this kind of like, yeah. okay, now we're going to do yeah. culture A. Totally. And, you know, now we're going to yeah. do culture B. Uh, but I think the, the the way to go forward with that is, again, everyone is called to pay attention to God. The fundamental yes. discipline that we have in worship is that we are to attend to God's word, mm. anticipating a – intentional response yep. to God's yeah. word together, mm-hmm. regardless of our culture. So there's a transcultural dimension course. to that, mm-hmm. yeah. but then how we balance out how we hear that and, yep. and express that, that's where we need some of this cultural sensitivity and openness to, yep. to, to various yep. you know, that's really situations. That's good. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. great. Uh, well, Wayne, maybe
1: just another question or two. Sure. Let's go back to the, you having been at every different, you know, <laughs> chapel, whatever, <laughs> associate <laughs> Dean. Um, I'd love to hear what's your take on theological education right now in terms of why a play why why pursue seminary? Can you give mm. sort of like a mm. you know instead of doing an end route, you know, around it and just why give maybe 3 years of your time or even longer perhaps yeah. to yeah. get theological education yeah. at yeah. a place like Teds or yeah. elsewhere too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think um yeah, uh, I I think we are I don't want to sound too uh, apocalyptic here, you know, or, or too uh, dramatic. Um, but I think we're at a point where, where churches are at the risk, let's, maybe that's the best way to put it, are at the risk of being unhinged from theology. Mm. Um, some of the things we've been talking about, a theology of worship, yeah. or a theology, or an eschatology that shapes the, the, the church and the church's ministry, those things are essential for how you envision ministry. And how you do it. And I think what's happened sometimes is when you get large churches and large church franchises, there ends up becoming a kind of methodological uh, principles that you use. And you just kind of plug them in. And they mm-hmm. succeed. They bring a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, and we know that some of the problems there is the question is not bringing a lot of people. The question is actually shaping and forming people. And I would press it even more. Shaping and forming people to actually follow Christ and to be this kind of way that we're talking about yeah. in the world, that's the, that's the measure of whether a church is successful or not, not uh, how big your building is, obviously, or how many people you have coming. Um, so the question is, in what ways are you thinking theologically about what a well-formed Christian looks like? I mean, we've talked about some of it mm-hmm. today. Absolutely. And if that isn't understood carefully and biblically, then a well-formed christian is a person who believes xy and z comes to church contributes to the machinery of the church if i can put it bluntly yeah and uh comes to bible study does xy and z and that's that's it but yeah. we need desperately need thicker and biblical descriptions of what it means to be a growing christian uh, uh, and then we need uh uh, uh also how, what it means to engage with culture. We're in a crisis now between this division between left and right. Everybody's mm-hmm. outraged about mm-hmm. something. A lot of people are angry and fighting. There's mm-hmm. violence, all kinds of things going on. What does, the, what does the scripture and theology give us to navigate through these? Yeah. yeah, I think we're finally realizing maybe it's not good for the church to just sign up for left or right and then just <laughs> do that. But there's a whole theology of what the church is, I an mean, ecclesiology about what, The church is called to do what it's called not to do and those clear lines where they should be. Now, you know, I'm not saying everybody has to line up with what I'm thinking in Mm -hmm. terms of my own convictions, as I said before. But unless you're thinking theologically about that, you are just going to be ping-ponging back and forth or maybe to use a more biblical, you're like a cork on the sea, getting tossed to and fro. And my concern is that we are now in a point where clearly many churches are not valuing theological education. And yet the idea is we can can move, you know, very well on our own. Thank you very much. We can even do our own training for our leaders. Thank Mm -hmm. you very much. And some of that is great. I mean, some of that is very solid and sound sound theologically. But my concern is that we're going, we are now in this time where if theological education wanes and people, particularly the church, doesn't see the need for it, Mm -hmm. we're in for a heap of hurt Mm -hmm. going forward. Because we will not be theologically equipped as the church to address some of these big challenges mm-hmm. that we're facing yeah. um, and we're already facing them. But I think the answer is not just a lot of, not a lot of clever thinking. The answer is digging into a, a really good biblical theology of, of the church, mm-hmm. of worship, of formation. That's the other course I like to teach is spiritual oh, that's formation. Right. Yeah. Um, and how that works in a Christian life, because that is why we're here. Right. Yeah. Um, You know, I'll be where we're not here to solve the big problems via government, left or right. We're here to be the church and bear witness to a new life and a new way of life. Mm -hmm. Um, Only Jesus. This gets into other things. I mean, we should try, obviously, to solve issues and problems, and that's a legitimate thing. But part of the problem is getting distracted. You know, that becomes the thing that we get excited about. That's my concern for a younger generation. You can get excited about social justice, and you can get excited about those kinds of things. But the thing we ought to be most excited about is is the mission that we're called to do. And that's a fully orbed mission. That has all kinds of dimensions to it. But my concern is that people, kind of like the old days in Marxism, people go, yeah, yeah, that's it. We'll do that. Or, or some kind of conservatism. Yeah, we'll do that. And in the process they'll lose excitement about Christ and the Holy Spirit and change lives and change communities because of the gospel. Yep. Um, and that's my fear that in, you know, in a couple generations, uh, Christianity will be boring, you know, back to mm-hmm. the old kind of thing. Without, without that and cutting and edge, yep. follow me, make a difference, that, that Christianity is just a bunch of things you affirm like the moon. The moon mm-hmm. is there. Mm-hmm. And it's, that's not what I believe it is.
1: Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, that's great. Thank you, Wayne. Appreciate that.
2: That's so helpful. I love um, one of the kind of threads running through this interview is you've kept pushing us to see that so many of the things we care about are good about meeting people about social justice. They're that's right. good, but yep. they are all motivated by the sort of transcultural, transpolitical, trans political like foundation um, of God and what he's that's doing right. in this world. And yep. I'm grateful for that. We just, I mean, this is just the forward. That's what we always say, um, because there's so much more we could learn from you. And this time always feels too short. Mm -hmm. And to those listening or watching, we'd encourage you to take some classes with Dr. Johnson if you want to hear some more. Um, But we are just grateful for the way you're shaping this institution. You're shaping us. You're shaping our students. um, And we are really grateful that you took the time to be here today.
0: Thanks. Thanks. Well, thanks for having me. It's a joy. And I appreciate what you folks are doing.
2: (laughs) Thank you. Well, we also want to take a minute to thank our producer, Curtis, and our graduate assistant, Lauren, and of course, uh, those who have been loyally listening and watching from home. We uh, find such joy um, in having conversations with you about what's going on here at TEDS. Um, And so I am Michelle Knight.
1: I am Josh Chip.
2: And we'll see you around.
1: Thanks, William.
0: Forward is a podcast hosted by faculty at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. The views expressed by the hosts and guests of Forward do not necessarily represent the views of Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. You can subscribe to our newest episode on your preferred podcast app or at forwardpodcast.com. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Forward Podcast to get updates and additional links to content. Trinity Evangelical Divinity School is located 25 miles north of Chicago with extension sites across the country and online. Trinity educates men and women to engage in God's redemptive work in the world by cultivating academic excellence, Christian faithfulness, and lifelong learning. You can find more information at teds.edu.